Today, Dr. Melanie Burton, a forensic and counseling psychologist, clinical social worker, and licensed addictions counselor, brings you one step closer to a new you, where you feel empowered and on a positive path to growth and well-being. As a solutions-focused therapist, Dr. Melanie Burton can help you live a life worth celebrating by unearthing those long-standing behavior patterns and perceptions that may be holding you back. And now, here's your host, Dr. Melanie Burton. Hello, everybody. I hope you're doing well. So um, I've been away for a little over a month, and I miss doing the radio show, but I had to take a break because my work schedule is, like, so busy now. My work schedule is off the hook, and um, I just... Knew I I knew I needed a break. I mean, when you when you know you you need a break, you need a break, and it's important to take care of yourself. So I took my break. I'm back and um, looking forward to doing the show today. Um, so the last time I was with you all, <clears throat> I informed you that you know we did we talked a lot about trauma. But we haven't really gotten into attachment. So the plan today is to talk about different attachment styles. And I'm also going to introduce you to resource tapping. Resource tapping can help you be make yourself emotionally regulated. You're... Um, feeling some symptoms of PTSD or if your anxiety is really high, you can actually tap yourself down using uh, specific pressure points in order to regroup and de-stress and reduce your anxiety. And it takes place immediately. The other thing I'm going to talk about is... um, healing by writing. So I'll give you some different tools that you can use in order to heal by writing. Okay, so today we're going to talk about attachment styles and about attachment styles and resource tapping. And this is the book I use. It's the uh, attachment focused EMDR because resource tapping is a form of EMDR, and it's written by Laurel Harnell. This book is specifically for clinicians. This is not something that an everyday person should go out and purchase because you won't understand anything. You just won't. It was written for clinicians, and I use this work. I use this book in the work that I do with my clients. So. Let's get started on attachment styles and on attachment styles, as well as how um, you can incorporate resource tapping, which is a form of 
EMDR um, into, into your self-care, okay? So um, EMDR is a form of um, using rapid eye movements in order to help emotionally regulate you. So because, you know, this is video, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to introduce you to the rapid eye movements. I'm just going to introduce you to resource tapping. Okay, so um, attachment styles um, were developed by Mary Main, um, who developed the adult attachment interview, which we call the AAI. Um, and that was written as a way to categorize the attachment styles of adults. So every adult has a different and specific attachment style. Hopefully by you um, hearing everything that I'm going to share with you, you'll be able to identify what sort of attachment style you have. Um, so these different attachment styles reflect the way the mind over time has created a kind of template. Uh, for different types of re relationships. So this was first developed by John Bowlby, who I've done a lot of research on. John Bowlby um, has written so much on attachment and the effects that it has on a person from childhood, I, I'll say infancy, into adulthood because the, diff the different attachment style really forms your personality. So it's based, Bobby based all of his work on the importance of having a secure bond with your biological mother. If you did not feel as an infant a sense of security, safety, love, comfort from your mother, then that has an effect on you later in life. Um, so Balby used the term internal working model for relationships. So people don't often fit neatly into one of these categories, and many have some elements of several of them. And as I said, as children often have relationships with different caretakers who have different different styles of attachment, even, even though there may have been several different categories, it appears that in adolescence, the brain integrates the information and develops a style of relating, a style of relating to other people. The attachment styles reflect an implicit right brain organization of neural networks. Patterns of emotional responses, body sensations, and the beliefs associated with them operate beneath conscious awareness. So it's implicit. It's 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 beneath conscious awareness. These patterns 
developed through relationships with significant caretakers in early life. I don't necessarily focus on um, the different attachments with different caretakers. My focus is on that attachment with your biological mother. So let's talk about the different attachment styles. The first one is a secure attachment. When a person has a secure attachment with their biological mother and once they become an adult, they value relationships and are flexible and objective when speaking about attachment-related issues. They are able to integrate their past experiences with their present circumstances and their future aspirations. And they have made sense of their life histories. Even if they did not have a healthy attachment in childhood, a secure attachment can be earned, can be learned. She has earned, I say learned. Earned security is developed in adulthood via therapy or a healing relationship. These people with secure attachments can then tell a coherent narrative of their lives that integrates the key elements and experiences of their past, present, and anticipated future with insight, relatedness, and emotional nuance. Those with earned security are able to use this understanding to create healthy relationships in the present. So just to sum that up, even if you did not have a secure attachment or a secure bond with your biological mother, you can heal yourself and obtain a secure attachment by having healthy relationships, by having healthy relationships and working with your therapist. The other attachment style is avoided or dismissing attachment. I call it dismissive. And people who have an avoided or dismissing attachment style had parents who were unresponsive or neglectful. So they grew up with little interpersonal attunement or connection. They learned to give up and take care and take care of themselves. They believe that they cannot depend on humans to meet their needs. These clients avoid relationships, but they also desire relationships. They are not connected to their emotions or their bodies and are therefore cut off from themselves and others. They typically don't recall their childhoods, except in the most fact-based manner and linear left-brain recollections devoid of emotional content. People with avoidant and dismissive attachment have very little right brain activity and do not perceive nonverbal signals from others, from other people. They rely on logical analysis and engage in little self-reflection. So people with avoidant or dismissive attachment styles do exactly, you know, what it's called. They avoid. 
They avoid developing relationships with other people. Then there's the ambivalent and preoccupied attachment style. People with ambivalent and preoccupied attachment styles have parents who were not consistent or available. So they have anxiety about whether or not the other person is available. In some cases, their parents were overly intrusive. In other cases, they have a desperate need for the other. And at the same time, they fear that their needs can never be met in relationships or they will be taken over by the other person. They have an overactive right brain hemisphere and difficulty self-soothing. They may feel shame that there is something wrong with them because their needs were not consistently met. And many people with avoidant and preoccupied attachment, ambivalent, I'm sorry, and preoccupied attachment may have suffered significant trauma throughout their lives. So I've talked about complex trauma trauma survivors. Complex trauma trauma survivors have suffered extreme trauma and it's trauma that's constant, constant trauma, constant trauma. Ambivalent and preoccupied attachments really uh the person is ambivalent about the relationship and needs constant um, self-assurance, constant, constant, constant self-assurance about the relationship. And they may have different ruminating thoughts running through their head. Um, It's what I call assumptions. And I tell my clients all the time, you can't make assumptions because 90% of the time your assumptions are not correct. So we can't make assumptions about what another person is thinking or feeling about us because 90% of the time our assumptions are inaccurate. Okay. And the last um, attachment style is disorganized and unresolved trauma or loss. So people who have a disorganized attachment style had parents or caregivers whose behavior was overwhelmingly frightening and chaotic. They therefore suffered from significant childhood traumas, including physical or sexual abuse and or loss, which has caused internal fragmentation and disconnection from themselves and others. They may have flashbacks, frightening body memories, problems with social communication, and problems with reasoning because the left hemisphere side of the brain is offline. And they disassociate. So what is disassociating? Disassociating is having an out-of-body experience where Something is actually taking place, but you don't feel like you're fully there, even though you are. Their unresolved or unprocessed traumas 
leave their memories, emotions, and body sensations in an unintegrated and chaotic state. This attachment style is found in people whose parents did not physically whose parents did not physically abuse them, but whose behavior was frightening or disoriented, disorienting to the child, such as in families with drug and alcohol abuse and where parents raged but did not necessarily hit their children. Their source of comfort was also their source of terror. So even though your parent provided you with comfort, your parent also caused you to feel afraid and provided a sort that provided terror. Um, I won't just say afraid, I want to use the term terror. This impossible situation is too much for children to integrate, so they fragment or commence or compartmentalize. Daytime, for example, daytime daddy, loving and warm, soft and fun, was in one compartment, and nighttime daddy, who touched her in bed, smelled bad, and was terrifying, was in another. So for her, they were two different daddies because of this child's, because of the child's dependence on her father for her survival, realizing that daytime daddy and nighttime daddy were both the same man could overwhelm her with anxiety. Her disassociation allowed her to function. So again, that out-of-body experience. Memories, emotions, body sensations, and other lived information is fragmented like shards of a shattered mirror. People with disorganized attachment styles have a difficult time with emotional regulation. Dysregulation is the inability to manage an emotional balance and maintain connection to others. When a parent is abusive or frightening, it creates a state of disorganization and it disrupts the safety of attachment to that person for the child. The child emphatically becomes dysregulated as he or she both attunes to the parent's state and continues to experience his or her own fear. These feelings are difficult to resolve, which creates a state of inner chaos. Trust may be more difficult to establish and may be challenged by people with disrupted attachments. Um, can be challenged repeatedly throughout their therapy. So resource tapping is a very important way of helping clients with disorganized attachment because it adds a a neural pathway and gives them tools for coping between sessions. So disorganized attachment folks are the ones who I see in my private practice who actually have um, suffered so much extreme trauma that they become dependent on drugs and alcohol. 
they become dependent on drugs and alcohol as a way to help them. They try to try to emotionally regulate on drugs and alcohol to just numb themselves so they don't feel. I did a whole, my whole doctoral research study was written on different attachment styles. Um, and I did a lot of research on women, but just to let you know, the name of my dissertation is it the maternal bond of the maternal bond theory of attachment, examining maternal attachment and substance use disorders in women. So I did a lot of research, a lot of research to write my dissertation. And what I noticed was that the majority of women with whom I was working with in inpatient uh, treatment centers and outpatient treatment centers all had issues, relational issues with their biological mother. They all had issues with their biological mother. And I expanded my research. I didn't just do my research on women. I also did my research on men and discovered the same thing. They all had issues, really painful memories um, of their relationship with their biological mother, like horrible horror stories horror stories. And those folks all suffered from disorganized attachment. So it's important to really, if you suffer from any sort of attachment, um, dysregulation, um, to really seek therapy and treatment for that. Because just because you have a disorganized attachment doesn't mean that you can't make changes in your life so that you have a secure attachment and you're able to have healthy relationships with other people. Okay, so resource tapping. So tapping and resources is relatively easy to do. It begins with the imagination. So um, with resource tapping, you can tap in more, you can tap in one or more of the most commonly used resources. You can tap in a safe, peaceful place, a nurturing figures, protective figures, and inner wisdom figures. So at my clients in my private practice, I teach them a lot of different grounding exercises and the grounding exercises always consist of a safe, peaceful place, nurturing figures, especially pe- for people who have uh, disorganized, ambivalent, um, disrupted attachment styles. That works really well with them to be able to replace um a disorganized attachment with a nurturing figures or a protect protector figures. And then there's also inner wisdom figures. By tapping in the most commonly used resources, a resource toolkit is then created that will be available to use 
when you need to assess it. It's like having your basic household tools in a handy place where you can find them and use them to repair things that are not working in your home. These resources will be your basic tools that can help you and that can help you with most situations that require resources. So the way to do this is to um, be able to incorporate resource tapping as a toolkit is to do like a visualization exercise with your therapist and then to do resource tapping to be able to use that to to use that resource to be able to go back to. So let me explain this in a way that you understand because it's all scientific. You do like a grounding exercise with your therapist on like a safe place. And then your therapist taps that in. So when you start feeling anxious and disorganized or uncomfortable, you can tap in that resource. When tapping in a resource, it is important to use your imagination to enhance your sensory experience of the resource as much as possible. So it's important, and I I tell my clients, you know, to be able to really see their safe place, to be able to smell Say your safe place is the beach. You can smell the air around the beach, the water. You can hear the birds. You feel the heat on your back. So it's important to use that visualization and to really feel like you're actually in that safe place. So it's important to fill the resource in your body. Just thinking about it at a purely mental level is not enough. You have to fill it. One way to elicit the resource of love is to ask, you know, to ask people for therapists. What we do is we ask people to think of someone for whom they care. I did this exercise the other day with um, one of my patients and she was able to come up with, uh, because she had this disruptive attachment and not a secure bond with her mother, she was able to come up with another family member who provided her with comfort and love and who she felt safe with. And that was the person who, Um, she used in her imagination to come up with a protector figure. And um, so you bring that person who you feel safe with, who you love, who you care about to mind. And you just imagine the person through whatever images or sensations arise. 
by creating mental images all the time without realizing it. Um, they don't have to see an image of the person to access the power of the resource. What is most important is that they have the feeling of the resource they are evoking. You actually have that feeling. The person does not have to be there. Okay, so I'm going to give you um, some instructions on resource tapping. Um, this is something that you can try on your own, but I strongly recommend that um, you find a really good therapist like me who can introduce you to resource tapping. Okay, so you begin by closing your eyes. Go inside and bring your attention to a quiet, still place within. Take, you know, I like to have my clients take full deep breaths, um, slowly exhaling, really strong breaths. And then I ask them to bring to mind the resource they have chosen to work with a positive memory, an inherent quality, an experience, or an important person or animal. It does not necessarily have to be a person. It can be an animal. And then I asked my clients to imagine the resource as well as they can. Open their senses. Notice what they are seeing. Notice what they are hearing. Notice what they are smelling. What sensations do they feel on their skin? What do they taste? What do they feel? And I suggest that they take the time they need to elicit the information and fill out or enliven the resource. So I give them time to be able to really create that resource. So once they have a strong sense of a resource, that's when they can feel its quality. If they report positive feelings and the resource is strengthening, then that's when you can um, do your resource tapping. Um, so the resource tapping, always I start with the left and I will tap their leg, starting with left, then the right, then the left, then the right, then the left, then the right, then the left, then the right. I do that six to 12 times. And if they report positive feelings, if they start feeling um, like centered and the resource is straightening, then I can do a couple more resource tappings. And I can continue to do the resource tapping for as long as it feels positive. And if other memories or research come to mind that feel good to the clients, you can tap those in also. Okay, so that is different attachment styles and resource tapping. I think it's important, you know, people think that therapy is all about um, going to see your therapist and talking to your therapist. But therapy is more about just going in and talking to someone. There, it, it 
it consists of doing work. So I'm like a really big cognitive behavioral therapist. I'm all about work. And I let my clients know, for people who want to see me, I tell them, you know, if you're not going to want to do work outside of therapy, then I'm not going to be the right person for you to work with because it's required. If you want to get better, if you want to reduce your symptoms, you have to do things to be able to reduce your symptoms. It's not like just taking medication and expecting that your depression is going to go away. You have to do things in order to reduce your symptoms of depression. I just have to get up and open the door for a moment because it's really hot in here. Okay, air. Okay, so the next segment is on creating a trauma timeline. So, again, like I was saying, there's things that you have to do outside of therapy. So, it's important for me to teach you a lot of these different interventions that you can use. And I teach my clients different interventions that they can use. In fact, my favorite workbook is PTSD workbook by Mary Beth Williams. She's making a lot of money off me (laughs) because all of my clients are required, all of my trauma clients are required to purchase this workbook. And I tell them, get the beige workbook. Don't get the blue workbook. I like this, the first edition. People think, well, it's a newer edition. But that doesn't mean that it's better. This is the version that I like, the the first version that came out. And I tell them, you can go to Amazon. You can get a used copy for about 10 bucks, maybe even six. Okay, so when trying to heal from trauma, it is a really good idea to create a trauma timeline. So one way to record your trauma history is to draw a trauma timeline. You can do this by taking a roll of white paper and beginning at the end of the roll Mark spaces for each of the years of your life on a horizontal line. This line can be a foot or many feet long. You may want to start in the beginning of your life, a few inches from the end of the row, so you can record any events that happened prior to its beginning. For example, did your mother have any serious pre-birth events that could have impacted you? Was she battered? Did she fall? Was she in an accident? Was there a significant death during her pregnancy? Was she confined to the bed? Etc. Um, so put any significant events that happened to you throughout your life above the horizontal line. These can be positive or neutral events. For example, starting school, moving to a new home, a first date, as well as traumatic events such as an illness, injury, or abuse. Below the line, record events that happened to others who were important to you. 
These should be events that impacted you as an observer or a witness, but did not directly happen to you. For example, deaths, births, etc. You may use photos, magazines, pictures, personal items, or drawings of yourself and others, placing them above or below the line to symbolize events, persons, and places. If you wish, you can extend your timeline into the future beyond your present age and put in some of your future intentions. This timeline has been called the tour of trauma by some individuals. You may find that constructing a timeline is too re-traumatizing to do alone. So with this, you can seek professional help if you need to. Also, take time, take your time, do a year or a few years at a time, and then take a break. Take time to relax, regroup, and unwind. So trauma work is really difficult. And I tell my clients, do it in bits and pieces. Don't like go full fledged out because it can be re-traumatizing. In fact, I had um, a client who had um, been working on doing her trauma work using the workbook. And she went through and like did several chapters all at once. And then she said she um, had stopped because she was starting to, to be triggered. So I realized that the reason that she got triggered is because she went through and she was doing, she did like several chapters of the trauma workbook. It doesn't work like that. You do it in bits and pieces. In fact, I recommend that you just do one exercise at a time. There's no hurry in getting these things done. Um, Because when you're doing your trauma work, you can experience triggers or some, some some sort of different physical feelings that come up. Um, another way to deal with your history of trauma is to write about what happened to you. So um, that's called healing by writing. Hennemaker in 1997 says that writing about Upsetting experiences is beneficial to your health and well-being. You might decide to write every once in a while about your traumatic experiences using a personal journal, or you might contract with yourself to follow Penna Brooker and Campbell's writing plan, which was um, made in 2000. If you want to spend more time and you feel emotionally ready to take an in-depth look at more look at one or more of your traumatic traumatic experiences. Penna Baker suggests that you use a four day time period to write about them. Again, everything is done in bits and pieces. During those four days, write for twenty minutes each day. Your only rule is to write continuously for the entire time. So you have to write for a full twenty minutes each day. If you run out of things to say, just repeat what you've already written. Don't worry about grammar or spelling or sentence structure. Um, so the following exercise guides you through this four-day plan. You may do this exercise now or you can return to it later. 
You may feel sad or depressed when you finish this this daily writing assignment. If so, remember that your reactions are completely normal. Most people say that these feelings go away an hour or so after they finish. Or you can use any of the exercises. Um, you know, there's the exercises that I introduce you to um, for relaxation. Um, you can use those exercises. Now, what I do um, is I tell my clients that after doing such um, thought-provoking and um, writing about painful experiences, that they um, meditate. So all of, all, of, all of my clients who have experienced trauma, even the ones who haven't experienced trauma but may suffer from symptoms of depression or anxiety, I introduce all of them to meditation. Meditation, I tell them, is your medicine. If you want to get better, you have to meditate. If you want to get better, if you're sick and you want to get better, you have to take your medicine or you won't get better as quickly. So it's important to meditate. If you use this technique, um, just remember to write about the most traumatic, upsetting experiences of your life. And your writing, really let go and explore your deepest thoughts and emotions. You can write about the same traumatic experience in all four days or about a different experience each day. In addition to writing about your traumatic experiences, you can use this technique to write about major conflicts or problems that you have experienced or are experiencing or are experiencing now, including those that have resulted from the traumatic events. It is critical that you really delve into yourself and into your significant experiences or conflicts that you've not discussed in a great deal detail with others. You might also tie your personal experiences of trauma to other parts of your life as you write. How are they related to your childhood? your parents, those you love, who you are, and who you want to be. So you can have a trauma journal. There's no no problem having a trauma journal. Writing in an act of re- writing is an act of release. Taking all the stuff of trauma that has bound you up and controlled you and releasing it into the universe. Writing may help you reduce your inhibitions about disclosing what happened to you and may actually encourage changes in the way you view your traumas. As you write, you may begin with only a few incoherent sent a, f- a few incoherent sentences and end up with a rather coherent story. Before you begin to write, you might want to review your list of traumatic experiences. It might help you to realize um, that your own traumatic life experiences may or may not be considered traumatic by others. Um, So I talked about the importance of journaling. um, And there's a journal. You can use a journal exercise, um, which we call my traumatic experiences. So over the four days, 
Write about a traumatic experience in your notebook or journal. Write for 20 minutes each day without stopping. At the end of the day's writing, take some time to reflect on the meaning of what you've written, how you feel as you how you feel as you finish, and what you've learned. Um, some people have found it easier to write first thing in the morning, then they have the rest of the day to calm down. Become involved in everyday activities or go to work. Waiting to write until evening or right before bed can lead to nightmares and increase sleep problems. When you are done, do the following exercise in your workbook. Well, not everyone has the workbook, um, but the exercise is learning from my traumatic experience. Um, so I have written about my traumatic experience for four days. This exercise has taught me the following things about the trauma, about myself, and about my world. Um, You can also use metaphors to describe your trauma. There is no one way to tell your story. Sometimes everyday words do not seem adequate to describe what happened to you. In these instances, you may want to use metaphors to describe the impact of trauma on you. A metaphor is a descriptive way to explain trauma through a phase, through a a phrase that does not give a direct message. For example, I am a sack of dirty laundry is a metaphor for how someone feels, perhaps after being date raped. If you choose to write a metaphorical story about your traumatic experience, you might want to include the following. A hero or heroine as a main character, which is you. A symbol to describe the event or person that caused you to be hurt or victimized. Something that stands for resiliency and healing. Symbols that stand for your ideals and safety and security. Symbols that indicate your mastery of the problem, a message that conveys a solution to any problem, and symbols of your culture. For example, the Star of David, ethnic clothing, etc. So now it's time to heal. So once you've been able to identify your traumatic experiences, it's time to begin to work on any symptoms of PTSD or complex PTSD that you are having. Um, this is not a start to finish. This is not some, something that you do start to finish. Like I explained, you have to do it in bits and pieces. And you can't do this work alone. You can't do this work on your own. I do not recommend that you go out and you purchase the trauma workbook and do this work on your own. This work has to be done with your therapist. So, you know, um, I go over all these exercises with my clients and I process it with them um, because this isn't something that you just do on, on your own. It can be uh, very traumatizing and you may not have the tools um, that you need to that you may need in order to be able to regroup. So, and and emotionally regulate yourself. 
So it's important that you do your PTSD and your trauma work with a trusted therapist. Um, I think it would be helpful to um, just go back and um, talk about different ways that you can stay grounded. Um, so the, the word grounded means staying present in the current time um, by contrast to spacing out or disassociating. You may have some particular ways to remain present when things come up and remind you of your trauma or when you're dealing with past experiences. Trauma survivors um, have, have come up with different ways um, to ground themselves. Um, and again, I do grounding exercises with my clients all the time. Some of them are very short. Some of them are very long. Um, um, I like to do the physical grounding where you put your feet flat on the floor and you can look at something, um, like a picture on the wall and just look into the details and just really, really describe it. So you're, when you start having distressing symptoms or you feel anxious, what have you, you can actually ground yourself to make yourself feel better. And again, I'm looking up because I have this beautiful photo, um, beautiful picture framed of my grandmother when she was a little girl. And I can sit here and round myself and look at that beautiful picture of my grandmother. And every time I do that, I see some sort of detail that I did not notice before. Maybe, you know, like the ribbon in her hair. I always discover some sort of a detail. And when I look at this, I also wonder what she is feeling because she's not smiling on that photo. Okay, so different things you can do to ground yourself. Use using all of your sensations to be aware of your physical environment and then talking to others about it. Being aware of your physical body and how you look. Being aware of your movements and space as you walk. Exercising while being aware of what you are doing. Making a plan for the day and sharing that plan with another. Challenging yourself to a contest to increase the length of time you can remain in the present. Watching television and telling yourself or others what you saw. Doing routine activities in a different way. For example, cleaning up the house in a different order. So instead of, you know, starting with cleaning the living room, maybe you start by cleaning the kitchen. Or maybe you start with cleaning the upstairs and then you work yourself downstairs and clean the rest of the house. Uh, asking others to help you stay connected to them. Talking to yourself about the present. and Planting your feet, like I said, firmly as you can on the ground in the here and now. So you really like plant your feet and you feel the carpet or the hardwood floor, whatever you have under your feet and you totally ground yourself. That is what I call physical grounding. Okay. So um, next time. 
for next time, I'm probably going to bring someone in um, for an interview who can provide you with some insight and some education. Um, Or I may decide to just continue introducing you to um, different things that you can do to reduce your PTSD. Um, What I did is I I used to um, run a women's trauma group, um, which I found very, very helpful. And I ended up getting an email from a young lady and she said, wow, I really like to join your trauma group. And I thought, I need to get back to doing my trauma group. So I, I restarted my trauma group. It's all virtual. I'm doing it online. And it has been, we're, we're like in week two of doing the trauma. Actually, we'll be going into week three on Monday. And the feedback that I'm getting from the women in my trauma group is just so wonderful. I mean, they're telling me how much they love it and how they're feeling a sense of community. So that's something that I strongly recommend as well. Um, You know, if you um, seek a therapist for your trauma work, you might also want to ask your therapist um, if they do um, group therapy as well. Um, And if they do do a drama group, then definitely um, take advantage of that. If they don't do uh, group therapy, you can find a therapist um, who does um, do group therapy. I like gender-specific groups. Um, I don't think men and women should be in groups together because it's distracting and it can make people feel uncomfortable being open and honest and sharing. Um, Some of it, you know, people have trauma. So I think it's important if to do a therapy group, have it be men only or do a therapy group, have it do, have it be women only. I'm doing a women only therapy group. Um, If you can't find, so if your therapist does not do a therapy group, You can find a therapist on psychology today and you can um, look for a therapist who does therapy groups. But again, I strongly recommend that if you do engage in group therapy that is gender specific, women only, men only. um, And then, you know, we have gender uh, non-conforming people they're welcome to join the group as well. And they can choose to uh, attend whichever group they feel comfortable attending. Okay. So um, it was nice to be able to come back and do the radio show and actually talk about attachment. As you know, the title of this show is Trauma, Attachment, and Empowerment. And we've spent so much time talking about trauma We've spent so much time. We've had so many guests um, who have come onto the show who have talked about their own personal traumas. But it's also important to determine your attachment style. 
because most people with with trauma have suffered some sort of I won't say suffered they have some sort of attachment style that is not secure and a lot of that doesn't always come out in therapy so that's another reason why I wrote my dissertation about attachment and the importance of that secure uh, bond with your mother because a lot of therapists don't really pay attention to attachment. What I like, uh, really, really appreciate most is when I have a client who comes to me and actually talks to me about attachment. I'm like, wow, I can't believe that you knew all that. So, um, again, in order for us to fully heal, we have to dig deep. And sometimes that can be very, very painful, which is why um, I recommend therapy. Um, and therapy is not easy. It's hard. It's hard work. There's things that come up. And there's also things that you may not really want to hear. Um, so if your therapist does tell you something that generates some sort of an emotion, um, to you, I strongly recommend that you process that with your therapist in your next therapy session. Okay, so it's been nice um, being back on the show. I look forward to seeing you guys again on Wednesday, August 16th. So have a great couple of weeks. Can't wait to see you again.